Welcome to episode 21 of the Go Get Em Agility podcast. My name is Margaret Hughes, and with me is Emma Hughes. Hi, everybody. Hi, Emma. Hello. So we are not agreeing on what to talk about today. You want to talk about what? I want to talk about um, pushing yourself and how I am of the opinion that I think that everybody should do a premier class once in their life and be successful. Um, if you, Or the equivalent of that, so UKI courses, um, harder courses than maybe what you would see in a normal trial. And I want to continue talking about foundations. and About not, Eli. And not pushing your dog. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe we can try and let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can um, marry these two concepts together. And you talk about working above a level that somebody might feel comfortable with. And I'm going to talk about not working above the level that your puppy feels confident with or your dog feels confident with. I think that's a good premise because there is a balance, of course, with everything. Yes. So, yeah. All right. So you go ahead and start. So uh, I have been doing agility as for a little bit of background. I've been doing agility for a very long time, but only recently have I started to do um, the premier class. So in AKC, that is the international inspired class. So you will see backsides, maybe harder to weave pull entrances, maybe a longer course. And when you say um, for not that long, how long are you talking? Because I mean, you've been doing them for at least five, five years. Yeah. Yes. Did you but... do premiere with Millie at the end of her? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so... I did a few premiere classes, but I'm not uh, in the grand scheme of things, I, I haven't been doing them um, uh, extensively. So like if I go to a trial, right, I will do standard and jumpers rather than premiere because like that's the, the mock points, right? And so, you know, given the chance, I would rather do that. Um, and I think that there was a little while there where we were trying to get Dottie to be eligible for the United States team. And we didn't waste money on Premiere because she didn't really need it at that point. She just needed regular cues. Well, and how long has Premiere been offered? Oh, I don't know. I, I think it's only been, it's okay. got to be less than 15 years because well, definitely I, less than 15. I know that when I was around like 10 or so, it wasn't a thing. Um, and I kind of remember when it did become a thing, maybe I don't, I can't remember how old I was. But it was like a pretty big, all the international people were excited about it. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you guys about the premiere class. And um, that is the AKC International Inspired Course. I know if you do like UKI, that is um, United Kennel Club. It's British inspired courses, which is Europe inspired courses. British people, you're not part of Europe. I know this. And so it is also a eo and wao it could be other international teams as well tryouts qualifier so if you get a certain amount of cues in premiere you will be invited to try out for the united states world team if you want to um and so this is very attractive to a lot of people that wish to go to europe or have aspirations for europe or people that have been to europe and they want to keep going that doesn't mean that you need to be in the European mindset to do Premiere. 
So, yes, when you go into Premiere, you're going to see a lot of people that do want to go to Europe. I want to go to Europe, right? But you don't need to want to go to Europe. It's okay if you don't want to. But my point in this podcast to preach, for lack of a better word, is that I, it is of my opinion that I think Premiere's the class that pushes you and your dog the most. And I think that every single handler that has ever done agility and will ever do agility should do at least a full weekend of Premiere successfully. Because I really, it is an eye-opening course. They are eye-opening courses. And well, wait, um, Premiere- wait, what do you mean by successfully? Cue. I want you to cue. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's out of your control unless, uh, you know, without. No, it's not. With, with if you practice you can queue in premiere okay so you're saying that you think that people should um uh, strive towards doing a premiere class over the weekend yes. um and that in their training they should be training towards being able to accomplish and qualify yeah. on a premiere course i i don't mean that you should you know, be able to do the best backside the United States has ever seen. I'm saying that you should be able to have the skills in your in your little toolbox to say, yeah, we could do this. Me and my dog can do this. I'm not saying you should just go, oh, well, Emma said we should go do Premiere, so let's just see what happens. And if you get a cue by the skin of your teeth, yes, it's a cue, but was it a fun cue? Did you enjoy it? Did your dog enjoy it? Exactly. Yeah. And um, premiere is very difficult i i don't really know another word for it. it it is hard it is and i'm not saying that you know i am a better handler than you because i like premiere but it is different it's technical yeah so the courses are, are very they're they're difficult there's really there's no nice way to put it and also it does depend on the judge i have seen some very hard premiere courses where I'm like wow you would see this at like EO you know and EO is the European Open which is the international one of the international agility competitions and then I've also seen some premiere courses where I'm like oh this is just a master's course. I want to jump in here and ask the question you want people that are in the master's excellent classes to try premiere or are you talking about novice people too? I mean, where are you? Uh, it it depends, I, right? Isn't this like the answer to every single one of our questions? Because I really, I don't think you have to be in master's to do premiere, but I think if you know that you don't have the skills, you will know. Like if you want to see a premiere course, you can go walk it maybe once or twice, even if you're not in the course and you will know. You will know if you can't do these things, or, if you can't do. Or look at the course map on the wall. Google Google Premiere, Google ISC. Yeah, ISC is another big one. So, um, yes. Okay, so I just want to make sure that you're not freaking people out. Because I agree with you that I think that if you're in Masters, that having a, a beacon to look forward to, something to strive towards, I think that the Premiere classes, the Master Series classes, are Master Series is the UKI version and then Grand Prix is USDA's version. And there's a couple others in there. Um, I think that that striving towards being able to qualify on a premier course 
is a fantastic thing. And I, I definitely agree with you that I think that everybody should eventually strive towards a premier class. But I also don't think that you should go into a premier class until you have trained the skills that are required. Otherwise, it's just a mess for the dog. Well, that's what I said in the beginning, right? When you have to do this with confidence, with successfully, right? And by with confidence, I mean that, you know, you've trained these things. Because it is quite common in Premier, you know, to see people are like, oh, well, we'll just try it. And then you go in and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. But go get them, agility listeners. I want you to know you have the skills to train this. You are not in over your heads. It is just a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. And you will be able to do Premier successfully. Well, and it's understanding it's understanding the different skills that are required. So yeah, in a regular class, in a regular standard class and a regular jumpers class, in general, for the most part, there are no backsides. There are minimal threadles. There will be minimal backside wraps. There will be very few um, difficult tunnel sends, you know, as far as blind tunnel entrances uh, coming from the, the side of a tunnel entrance. There'll be very few of those. Um, There'll be very few layering options for like weave pull entrances. The weave pull entrances will be less difficult in a standard. I was waiting for this one. As compared to, a premier or isc course right i didn't know we were going to go into like the tunnels so i was like we falls and then you kept going on about tunnels and then i felt i felt silly um yeah all those things and it's it is you know they're hard to train right because on top of these new things we still have the trial environment we still have you know if you have a dog that that doesn't have great weave pulls Still, you know, you've got this premier course on top of the weave poles that you might not have or the contact you might not have. And so it is hard. So if you feel like you can't do this, if it's a little overwhelming right now, I'm not going to judge you for it. I don't judge agility people anyway, but um, it's just something to strive for. And if you say, Emma, I don't want to do this ever. This is not something I really want to do. It's not something I'm interested in. That's okay, too. Okay, so what are the what are the main? If you were to say to somebody, th- these are the main skills that your dog has to have, what would they be? Um, backsides, definitely. Weave pull entrances, definitely. And as a handler, this will be my third entry. As a handler, you have to be in front of your dog. You have to be. I mean, you don't have to be, you don't, I mean, you can, you can get by, you know, behind your dog, but you're going to have to have some awesome distance or some awesome or some verbals. Yeah, exactly. Strong. That's kind of, yeah, we can, this kind of connects back to one of our last podcasts. I forget which one it was. We did one on verbals. We did, um, I can't remember when it was, but yeah. And I think I mentioned a lot of backside stuff then, but, um, yeah, it is verbals as well is a very good point. Yeah, and I think um, also a great skill to have would be an in cue. Definitely. So for threadles, either tunnel threadles or um, more importantly, jump threadles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because you do see a lot of tunnel threadles in Masters regular season. Yeah, yeah. 
I but think you, with, but you don't you don't see a lot of jump threadles. And my this is my opinion. I think masters and open and novice they have more room. They have more. Um, you have more. I don't know how to explain it. They have more room to move. So when you are, you have more, room, a, which translates to you have more room for mistakes. Well, no, to be able to fix mistakes. Oh yes, yes, yes. I yes. So that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That was very good. So there's always something next. It's more of a dangerous domino effect because yes, it the the stacks of technical stuff continues it's not just one or two pieces of the course it's three or four or five pieces of the course and right. so if you mess up on one section of the course it directly impacts the rest of the course there's less time to re uh reset the reset yourself uh to get in line for the next technical part of a course right i agree that is well put so now can I we think talk about yeah I think that's it I just really like Premiere and I keep trying to make people do it because I it is my favorite class well, it's so much fun I think that it's a class that um you do see a lot of of really well skilled dogs in that class and so I think that it can intimidate people in the lower levels um people that mm. are or people that are in masters that just don't feel their dogs have the skills and I, I, I would take away from this podcast is don't be afraid of the skills that are that are required. Go train the skills that are required. Yeah. And so go train yeah. the backsides, you know, and when we say a backside, you're sending the dog to the backside of a jump, but how they come off of the jump, what direction they go, there's five training sessions right there. Yeah. Do they come off coming towards you? Do they come off going away from you? Do they come off in a in a teardrop shape wrap? Do they come off in an S curve, you know, continuous same yeah. direction? So there's it, or do they come off in a, a you know full wrap going the same direction? So there's so many jump patterns on that one backside, and the same thing holds true for an in threadle, right? Like coming. Yeah you on a slice coming into you on a wrap um so so many technical pieces of both a backside and an in that really just take figuring out what they are and then training for them so one of the one of my foundation things is we train right side we train left side exact same thing you train right side on the backside you train left side on the backside you train coming with you on the same side of the backside you train going away from you on the opposite side of the backside so th there's every single piece of 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 a handling skill automatically has a one two element to it they're on your right side they're on your left side there's two elements right there and then there's they go away from you they come into you there's two more elements so now we're up to four right and so taking every single skill that premiere requires and training it every direction every side every combination of entrance are you coming off of a tunnel are you coming off of another jump are you coming off of a contact are you going into a tunnel are you going into weeples are you going into a contact obstacle so yes. yeah just 
train. We should have like two podcasts where it's like general go get them, and then it's like nerd go get them, where we just like list a bunch of like things that people are like, what are they talking about? So I once try, uh, did a spreadsheet. Uh, I started a spreadsheet. I never actually finished it because it it truly became overwhelming for what I wanted to do it for. So I wanted to do this spreadsheet for my new people. And straight away I went, whoa, this is going to be way. Was it like a skill spreadsheet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was going to be way over the heads and I didn't want (laughs) to intimidate them. And that's why, that's why it was intimidating because all the moves that you need for Premiere were all these moves that (laughs) I was putting into this spreadsheet and I could see how it would overwhelm a new participant, a new person in agility. So I don't think that Premiere is for the newcomer. Um, but I definitely think that it should be a, a guiding light of where yes. you should go, a guiding light I, of what you should train. Yeah, I think Premiere has gained this false reputation. Well, maybe not reputation. This is my personal like opinion um, that I used to have before I actually started doing Premiere. Um, and I, I used to think it was for like this elite group of people right the people that went to europe the people that won the people that had fast dogs and it's not it is for the intermediate to advanced people and we're just as silly as everybody else i still you know i still can't i still get lost on premiere courses i'm like what is this where am i you know it's i'm still just a regular handler it's just in a premiere course i'm not elite i'm not you know better than everybody else it is just a different style of agility Well, and I think that one thing, if you look at it, not as a, um, uh, it's out of reach and that the, the cues are difficult to acquire if you don't have the skills, I think it should be a, what to strive for, what to train. It will open up every hole in your training. (laughs) So it will, (laughs) it will, it will highlight every hole in your training. Um, if you, if you go and do premiere and you don't queue, or even if you queue, you, you, you will see places where you're like, wow, we barely got through that. Right. And so can you clean that up? Can you give more clarity to your dog of what you're asking? Because when you tell dot in and in, she, if you give her enough time, she knows exactly what you're asking her to do. Oh, yeah. You tell her, get that, get back. If she has enough time, she knows exactly what to do. And that kind of level of training, then it comes down to handling of Mm -hmm. how soon did you give her the information and did you set her up correctly for a good line? Right. And so, and if you didn't, it shows you, and especially if you videotape it and you go back and you watch it can show you exactly where the errors started to occur or did occur and help you to hone in on the skills that you either need for a dog training skill or for a handler skill. I agree. Okay. Will you be putting Eli in Premiere when he's mature? Yeah, when he's ready. I think we made a deal a few months ago. When he was a baby, I said, well, you've been running Dottie for two years. So can I run Eli like once or twice? So I would like to cash in my coins now. I want to put Eli in a premier class. I will totally let you run Eli. Yes. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, is he here in the room with us right now? I haven't seen him at all. Yeah, is he with sleeping. you? He's sleeping. So, okay. So let's talk about uh, foundations now that we're on. Today. Yeah. Should we talk about Eli? Um, so, <laughs> all right. So you talked about uh, a guiding light of where to head towards in pushing yourself as a handler, pushing your dog in their skill set. I want to talk about not pushing your dog <laughs> past, not pushing your dog over their skill set. And speaking of Eli, um, just elbowing my my way in here. If you have a puppy right now, you should not be training for a premiere. So if you have a dog that's like, I don't know, a baby, right? A dog that's not doing agility, you do not have to train that dog like it's going into premiere. Like you just have to get the foundations down. Yeah, but interestingly, so some of the foundations are going to lead right into Premiere, which is... Oh, definitely. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Right, well, so you let... shouldn't be putting a baby dog on Premiere courses. Oh, God, no. Okay. In my opinion. So Whatever. so these are some of the foundations that um, I've worked the last week. So I talked uh, in a prior podcast, I talked about the, the healing, right? The obedience, the healing on both right and left. I talked about stay. Um, and so those absolutely continue. So here's some more of my important foundation pieces that I've been working with is the transition times, the transition between taking the leash off and moving towards what will eventually become a start line. And what happens the moment the leash comes off, does the dog leave? Do they go to other people? So I've been working with other people in the arena with me. I've been working with people on the sidelines. I've been working with other dogs in the arena with me. And what happens the moment the leash comes off? What is Eli doing? And what I've been training him to do up to now is look at me. Look to me for direction. Look to me for reinforcement. Look to me for um, connection. And I've been rewarding that heavily every single time we do it. Um, I've been rewarding every time we go out of a door and he turns around and looks at me right there, bud, there's a cookie for you. That is what I want. I want that connection that when we transition from one behavior to another, when we take the leash off, when we go out a door, when we, um, when I release you off of a table or when I release you out of a stay, is it just transitions into another behavior. And so rewarding him either with play, with uh, uh, even just my my voice, but definitely rewarding with reward. And every single one of his trainings up to this point has included his breakfast or his dinner. I don't know that I have fed him out of a bowl once. That's he's, really good. He's never had so he, he. I've done some puzzle toys with him, so that if if that's equivalent to a bowl, but every single one of his meals has been either working towards confidence, working towards relationship, working towards enrichment. I, he hasn't, the only thing he's ever had in a bowl is either if we're working towards targeting, like going out and targeting into a dish or having water. He drinks water out of a bowl. Oh, that, yeah. Do you do the water on cue thing? It's great. Yes. He has been learning to Good. drink. Yeah. That's the best thing I've ever taught Dottie. 
Yeah. You've heard it here, folks. Teach your so, dog a water cue. Yeah. Give your dog a water cue. Give your dog a potty cue. So those, and he's been learning to potty and poop on cue in different locations. That wow. is some of my foundation stuff. Yes. Other foundation stuff that I've been doing is um, working towards uh, his resilience on noise and movement. So uh, like, like teeter work, right? So not the te- not actually using the teeter, although he just saw a tippy board. So he's seen a wobble board a whole bunch of times. He's been on a wobble board since um, I think he was four weeks old. He's been on and off of a wobble board, but he saw a tippy board for the very first time in our puppy exploration class uh, that I attended last Monday. And he took to it like, yeah, just another type of a wobble board. I got it. Um, but he hasn't done anything towards the bang game on a on a real 12 foot plank. It's just been <laughs> on these shorter, um, but no, no problems with noise. So I've been doing um, what I call the demolition game, which is with Tupperware and different objects where he finds cookies underneath Tupperware, kind of like the shell game, but a little more advanced. Um, he's been doing uh, what are called movement puzzles where he goes, um, which it's Marley. Oh gosh. Look up uh, the moving canine, I think is her thing. Um, her first name is Marley. Her last name is like Volk, uh, uh, Valga, Valga, V-A-L-G-A, I think. Uh, so she does these movement puzzles, which Eli really enjoys where he goes around cones and then over stuff. So I've introduced planks, I've introduced um, a balance pod, uh, and I, I wanna introduce some more stuff, um, you know, like a ladder, stuff like that. So I'm excited about all that foundation that we've been doing. Um, yesterday, we went and worked in an agility competition arena. We didn't do any piece of equipment except the tunnel. We did do a uh, tunnel to target plates. We did uh, recalls. I did recalls in there with another person in the in the uh, arena with me. Um, and then we did transitions from tugging to calm back to tugging, uh, tugging to sits and worked on our outs, worked on our um, stays, but no piece of equipment. He didn't go around one jump stanchion. He didn't, um, uh, he did put his paws on the A-frame because I've taught him to go on everything. <laughs> so He also put his paws on my car, but we don't need to talk about that either. <laughs> put his paws on your car. Uh, so, oh, and he did the pause table because we happened to be in, in close proximity to it and he automatically jumped up onto the pause table. In fact, he I was walking towards the pause table, not in any anticipation of doing the pause table and he beelined for it and jumped onto it and came to a screeching halt on it, which of course I had to reward, but I don't like that acceleration at this young age. Um, but any, so he, he, I've taught him to go on everything. I mean, and, and that is one of the problems that I'm starting to en- encounter is him going on everything without permission. And so if I'm in proximity to something or if we're driving towards it and I haven't cued him to do something else, like look at me, so his name or a recall, 
um, he's continuing on a straight line towards these objects. And he was, he ran right towards the A-frame yesterday and put his paws on it. I'm like, no, we're not doing an A-frame. Even though I know, I know he could physically do it. And I know that he has the confidence to do it. I don't want him doing it. He doesn't have the maturity yet to handle his body, to handle the speed, to handle the end behavior that I want. So, you know, getting on stuff and targeting stuff is one thing, but having control of his body and his speed and not jumping off from two and a half, three feet, you know, oh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to prevent. And so while I know physically he can do it um, and I, you know, physically as in, he can physically get up and over. I don't, I'm not doing it. And I don't want him to do it because of his specifically because of his age, right? Like yeah. him having the ability to do it is one thing, but him having the um, physical maturity to do it, he does not have. So his bones aren't growing or, or his bones aren't solidified. His he's still growing. Yeah, we... And there's just way too much danger for impact problems. And just one wrong move. I could, send him um, backwards weeks, if not months of training. Yeah, I know we didn't train Dot's contacts till she was a year. And that was just uh, A-frame and dog walk, not even the teeter. Um, and because she was small, you know, her bones are, are the smaller dogs generally tend to stop growing quicker around like a year-ish than like large dogs. So like border collies will take up to like, you know, 16 months before they're like fully, fully formed. Um, I actually had a question about Eli because I genuinely don't know this. Are you going to teach him stopped or running contacts? I don't know. You can say, just say yes. 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 <laughs> I want you to train running contacts because we've he's never had. He's definitely going to have a stopped on the teeter. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I mean, I'm not sure yet. I mean, because if I teach him running, then I want to teach him directionals off of the running. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do see the benefit of running and I see the benefit of stopped, but I would like to try running. Yeah. I would like you to try running. Here's something though. That's kind of fun is that my instructor, um, she said she has a theory. At least she used to have a theory. I haven't talked to her about this um, in, a, in a few years, but, um, she has a theory that dogs that jump off the stairs, from, you know, they're coming down the stairs just regularly. Um, dogs that jump off from stair number three or four and like, you know, land on the landing in a thump, uh, they're more likely to jump contacts than, the, <laughs> than, those that that actually, down, than those that run all the way down. That's the a good theory, actually. It's an interesting theory. So I suppose I could, um, you know, but that, of course, obviously training you know, can, can influence positively or negatively that, <laughs> that, that uh, assumption. Um, but so far in coming down the stairs every morning, all but one time, Eli has run all the way down to the very bottom. Oh, a boy. And that one time that he did jump up from a, a higher stair was only from stair two. So I am, mm. If if Kelly's theory is correct, and 
You've got a running contact prodigy on your hands. I might be successful in running contacts, but don't be fooled people out there doing foundations. Yeah. Running contacts can be just as difficult, if not more difficult than stop contacts. So even the best out there, golly, they, I mean, there's a whole thing of a running contact support group. (laughs) Yeah. My reason for asking is just because um, the foundations for running and stop contacts is different. And obviously, we're not going to teach Eli contacts of any kind until he's older. But I was wondering at what point you would start the running contacts. Like the, the um, I know it was back feet in the box. So you have a target, right? And you want your dog to hit their back feet. Um, you want your dogs to hit, you know, their feet in the box. And that is the foundation of it before you even touch a contact obstacle. Yeah, and there's there's different theories on front feet versus back feet. So stretching mm-hmm. to grab with their front feet and changing stride to hit with their back feet or changing stride with either of them. But um, so and there's new and evolving ways of teaching running contacts. And so I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Running. But but that being said, whether I choose to do stopped or running we are doing foundations towards that already so some of these movement puzzles is running over a mat yeah there it is Um, so and that is essentially the very very beginning of contacts whether it be stopped or running eli's gonna be like terminator where like by the time he gets to novice he's gonna be like I won't do the accent, but he'll be like, what is this? Like, why, why would I have to do this? He's like, just put me in excellence. He's going to be don't jinx. so talented. Don't so ta- jinx. Oh, wait, I'm jinxing myself off. You guys listen to the, I don't know. Well, okay. Words don't do anything. It's the leash. It's the leash that curses you. No, don't jinx my, my dog. Yeah. It's listen to our, never, even if he never makes it into the agility ring, let's just say something goes down in his life. This little dog has been so much fun already. They, he has brought you a lot of joy. Golly, he really he has. has really, so when, when, when you were born, I stopped doing dog training to raise you. I wanted to be a Aww. I did. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom with you. And so, nice. and so I dedicated all of, you know, my time to raising you. And, you know, jury's still out whether or not I did a good job. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but w- one of the, when I went back to dog training, I really, really loved going back to dog training. Not, And I absolutely loved raising you, but I love going back to dog training. And that is kind of how I feel with Eli being back, being in my life, is that going back to a puppy and raising a puppy, it takes me back to all that early nitty gritty training that I absolutely love and adore. And so even if he never makes it onto the agility course uh, into a, in a, a a, a competition I have absolutely loved training him and so I'm just thrilled with with what we're doing and so talking about foundations I wanted to I I have to go to dinner um so I will see you guys later I go get them people I love you you 
Emma, please. Mom, I'm seriously, I have to go. Just one because more thing. We're going to go look at it. We're going to go look at an apartment after. So we have to be on time for dinner. Okay. Okay. Just one okay. more thing. Bye. Go get them, people. No, I love you. Please. Just one more thing. I'm serious. I have to go. All right. You I say love... goodbye. You say goodbye. Okay. I'm going to keep talking. Okay. Bye. Go get them, agility people. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye, Eli. All right. Emma's going to miss a very important fact. So I read somewhere the other day that dog trainers, one of the differences between dog trainers and pet dog people is the amount of reinforcement that we give our dogs. And so in teaching all of these foundations, I started counting. So what they, what the person said, what the person wrote is that dog trainers reward anywhere between eight and 12 times per minute, which is not what pet dog people do. And so I, I'm doing all these videos of Eli and all of his foundations. And so I counted for a full minute, watching one, one repetition for a full minute. And lo and behold, I think I rewarded him upwards of 12 times in that one minute. And I can't remember what the behavior was, but those foundation pieces of attention and relationship building are directly influenced by how much feedback I'm giving him and my best way of giving him feedback that he likes, that he finds rewarding is through food. While I am building this relationship and the, these connections right now, I am building that with his dinner and I'm building it at a rate of eight to 12 cookies per minute, which makes my training sessions short because I, I'm using his breakfast and dinner. And a couple, I mean, there are other treats in there every once in a while, but most of his training, most of his foundation so far has been through breakfast and dinner. All right, I'm saying goodbye. Emma already said goodbye. Thank you for listening. Go get them. Please like and subscribe. Woof, woof. <laughs>